Alright, if you can make your way back to your seats. If you can make your way back to your seats. So I noticed there was a little confusion when we didn't do a greeting time before the hymn, but rather after. And I was thinking, as I was planning the service, I was like, man, I just need a few seconds to put the guitar down, not feel rushed, have a nice, smooth, a peaceful, some might say, a peaceful transition. And I was so worried about this this whole whole week. And in case you didn't see, I I knocked over like three Christmas trees in the middle of the offering. So uh, God definitely has a sense of humor, and uh, sometimes I worry too much about the small stuff. So uh, before we begin, um, let's just pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much. Father, during this Advent season, we we tend to focus on these promises that Jesus gives us, that he gives us hope, peace, joy, and love. God, I pray that you use me effectively, that that you use me in a way that, that I'm out of the way, if that makes sense, Lord, that you receive all the glory and praise and that it's, it's your word that speaks true and pierces our hearts this morning. God, we love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago, Nick Camelloni approached me, and he was asking me if I'd be willing to, to preach during the Advent season. He gave me two options, peace or joy. And I said, all right, well, I'm not a very joyful person. I'll be honest. There, there are times where I think of things in a more negative way, and I'm, I'm working on it. You could ask Stephanie, we're, we're working on it. And I was also thinking, I'm not the most peaceful person, meaning I'm always, I'm, I'm liking things on the go, but then I like, I like my peace by myself, uh, if that makes sense. I don't like to be with people. I'm more of an introvert. Um, and actually over the summer, I developed a, uh, a bald spot in the back of my head. I was losing hair there, and Stephanie took a picture of it and sent it to one of her friends, um, well, let me explain. <laughs> the friend who's a doctor that could tell us things about it. Um, there we go. Not just to make fun of me. But um, <laughs> I should have prefaced that. And she said that it's most likely due to stress. Like losing hair. It was like this weird spot in the back of my head due to stress. And I was thinking over the summer that uh, we did VBS. We had that teen week, uh, the, sa- the same week as VBS. That was, those were long but awesome days that God was, was using uh, for his glory. We had the retreat. I was preaching at the end of summer. So there was a lot going on. And here I have Nick asking me if I could preach on peace or joy. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but I don't know if I can effectively be used to, in either of these themes to, to really say that I have it all together. And um, so I told Nick, Nick, give me a few days. Let me think, let me pray about it, let me think about it, and I'm sure he, he probably wanted answers soon. And um, so it was Monday night, I remember it was Monday night because we had a young adult group and we were, we were in the book of Ephesians. And I got to Ephesians chapter 2, I was reading it beforehand, and I was really just prepping to, to come up with some discussion questions. And I came across a few verses that kept talking about peace, kept talking about reconciliation, and kept talking about who Jesus is. And we'll get to those verses later, but it was almost like, like the clouds opened up and the spotlight shone and it was like, oh, like, David, you're supposed to speak on peace, you idiot. That's like, come on. So um, I definitely felt God leaning me and, and, and pushing me towards peace. So that's how I'm up here and that's how I got here this morning. And I do just want to encourage us and say that I don't have it all together, um, but the beauty of the gospel is I don't have to, that Jesus did. So... 
Um, as I've been focusing more and more on peace this week, sitting in my office, staring at a computer screen, uh, yeah, youth ministry is not all fun and games. Sometimes you've got you to do the work. So I'm focusing on peace, and I'm asking myself this question. Do I strive to live in peace with everybody? Do I strive to live in peace with everybody? And I'd like to say yes, I, I do, but at a certain point, I just kind of don't care if that makes sense. I think a lot of times in relationships, you have to sacrifice, you have to compromise, you have to put work in a relationship. It's easier to walk away than to be reconciled and resolve that issue. So do I strive to live at peace with everybody? Yes. But at the same time, sometimes I fail on this too. And I, and I, I switched the question and made it a little bit deeper and more spiritual. And I said, am I at peace with God? Am I at peace with God? Another way you could think of that is, if Jesus graded my relationship with him, how would I do? And I want to leave this question for us to just think about and, and chew and meditate for a few minutes, and we'll get back to it at the end of the message. Um, but I want us to turn to Luke chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. And with this, looking at the birth of Christ can really help us with this question of, are we at peace with God? Am I at peace? Are you at peace with God? So Luke chapter 2. And like I mentioned earlier, Nick Camelone preached about the hope that Jesus brought to Simeon, but also the hope that, that we get because of Jesus. Today we're talking about peace. Next week, Mark Harrigan's going to be looking at the joy. The week after that, Paul Nelson's going to be on, on the love. So Luke chapter 2, before we read the story, if you have your notes, I gave kind of three main points labeled 1, 2, and 3. If, if blanks, if fill in the blanks stress you out, I'm giving you most of the answers right now. So it's, or in case you fall asleep, there, you have them all. Um, so point number one, we're going to read Luke chapter two, and we're going to dive in on the angel's message. So the first fill in the blank is that we need a savior. We need a savior. The second blank is promised peace. Promised peace. The third is what God's peace gives us. What God's peace gives us. So we're going to read Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 3, and then we're going to kind of zoom in and magnify the angel's message to the shepherds. So Luke 2, verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there with the angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God for all they have heard and seen as it has been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So I just wanted to read the, the whole chapter of Luke chapter 2, just so you get a context. And also it's Christmas time, and this is the Christmas story of, of Jesus' birth in the Bible. So just diving right in, point number one. Point number one, looking at the angel's message, we need a Savior. If you look at verse 11, the angel, first one angel appears to the shepherds and says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So a Savior is, bluntly speaking, somebody who saves, someone who rescues, someone who delivers. And we have to admit that if, if we need a Savior, if there is a Savior, that means we need saving. That there's a problem in this world and there's a problem with all of us and that problem is sin. And sin entered the world because of the temptation of Adam and Eve. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see the, the fall of God's creation. Sin enters the world. Uh, we have this idea that shalom was broken and shalom's a Hebrew word meaning peace but it has a, a, a I like the definition, it's, it's this definition of wholeness or fullness that our relationship with God, it, it's whole, it's that shalom. But when sin enters, shalom is broken. Where our relationship, man and God, and when I say man, I, I mean women too, but man and God are separated from God and it changes their relationship. In Genesis chapter uh, two, or I think it's chapter two, we see that God is walking with Adam in the cool of the day. It's just really this, this personal, almost like friendship type relationship with God, like an intimate relationship with him. In the Old Testament, we see that God doesn't approach the Israelites and the people that way. He comes in a burning bush. He comes in all these different pillars of fire. We see all these different ways. So we see, again, this, this relationship's broken. And, and God, throughout the whole Old Testament, he, he tells the Israelites to establish the tabernacle. Build, build the tabernacle. Establish priesthoods. That there needs to be atonement, uh, sacrifices to, to appease the punishment of sin. And some of us, if you're thinking, man, well, okay, so I, I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect, but I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen over $50 worth of things, or I've never done X, Y, and Z. You know, how come my, my little sin is worthy of eternal damnation in hell? Why does my sin have to be punished just as much as, let's just say, Hitler's sin is punished? And I, I use this analogy with the youth group kids, so just, just bear with me. But it's this idea that it's not what you do it's not the sin that we do, but it's who we sin against that determines our punishment. So for example, if I walked over to Josh Schwamm and I smacked him in the back of the head, I was just thinking, what, what would Josh do? I don't know, he might slap me back. He might um, say, hey, why'd you do that? Or he might get angry. I don't, like, there wouldn't be too big of consequences. One, because I've known Josh my whole life. And uh, again, we've been neighbors. Now, if I, if I up that scale of authority, and let's just say I went to Nick Camelloni and I slapped Nick in the head, what, what would happen? I, well, I'd probably, I'd hopefully get spoken to by the elders. There might be consequences. I might lose my job. Uh, I don't think he would just take it and be like, oh, thanks. Like, no, there, there's consequences. Now, if I, 
bear with, you, bear with me in this analogy. If I went to a police officer and I smacked them in the head, I looked it up, it would be a Class C felony, I believe. Is that, is that right? My police officer, Class C felony, up to 1 to 15 years in, in prison. Um, and then taking it one notch further, if I was to go up to President Trump and run at him in an aggressive manner and go to like raise my hand to slap him, I wonder, man, what would the Secret Service do? Would they like shoot me on the spot because I'm causing harm to the president? They don't know what I'm doing. Would they tackle me? Would I be locked up and never see like the light of day ever again, tried for treason? So this whole idea that it's not what we do, but it's who we sin against. And when we sin against a God who's eternal, a God who is holy, who's perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite, regardless of what we do, the consequences are eternal because of who we sin against, and we sin against God. So again, throughout the whole Old Testament, it's clear that we need a Savior. We need someone to come and to save us and deliver and rescue us from our sins. And a few weeks ago, Walter Roeder preached on this, and he, he took us back to the Old Testament and looked at a few verses that point to Jesus. And these were hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, before the birth of Jesus actually took place. So you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to just fire a few at you right now if you want to write them down. Um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Again, it's that foreshadow, it's that prediction of Jesus. Isaiah, 6, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace, which is what we're talking about today. Micah 5.2, Sid Harvey read it. It's this whole idea that a ruler will come from Bethlehem, and uh, this ruler uh, shall, shall rule the nations and bring peace to the people. And then rewinding all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters and God is, is cursing man, woman, Adam, Eve, and the serpent, he says this to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This whole idea that a savior is coming and he is going to crush Satan. He's going to crush sin. <clears throat> Again, the Old Testament, it's full of these examples and it's also full of how we as man, we try to reconcile or we try to restore shalom or we try to make right with God by ourselves and it shows this picture that we can't do it. We fail, we fail, we fail. That a savior is needed and we need a savior because sin needs to be punished. Ultimately, sin keeps us from having peace with God. Sin keeps us from having peace with God. So point number one, the angel saying, for unto you, you, born this day in the city of David, a savior. We need a savior. And Jesus is that promised peace. Point number two, promised peace. If you go back to Luke chapter two and verse 14, we see the angels cry out. They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And at this point, one angel goes to the shepherd and tells him about Jesus. And then suddenly it says, a multitude of heavenly hosts like filled up the sky, surrounded the shepherds. And then we have this little picture of what I think heaven will look like of just angels and praising God, giving praise and worship and honor to him. And this, this term heavenly host, that word host is a military term. 
Um, and I just, I love that depiction that we see God sends his army of angels, his warriors, to proclaim peace. To proclaim peace. So again, this promised peace, it's, it's not an earthly peace, meaning there, that there won't be any more sin in the world, that we'll be in perfect harmony, that there's going to be no wars. It's not this peace between man and man, but God is promising this peace of a peace between God and mankind, a spiritual peace. That God and sinners can be reconciled, they can be restored because of Jesus, our Savior. And sometimes when we sing Christmas hymns, I think we get caught up in the, just the joyfulness of it, that sometimes we just don't read the lyrics, if that, if that makes sense. And we just sang the song, and one of the lyrics we sang was, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. And that's the theme of, of this promised peace that we have reconciliation because sin needs to be punished. Jesus, our Savior, willingly took on our sin and bore the wrath of God for us. He came as the Lamb of God and it started with his birth and it was accomplished and fulfilled through his death on the cross. So just a few examples of, of just this reconciliation found in the Bible. I'm, I'm just going to fire them away again real quick. You don't have to go there. But Isaiah, once again, Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And that's Jesus. That's what they're talking about, the crucifixion of Jesus. And I just love that verse. He was beaten so that we could be whole. That idea of, of shalom, of wholeness, of fullness, it's found because of Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this in verse 1. And we, we read this when we lit, uh, lit the Advent candle. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And a little later in, in uh, verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, We also rejoice in God through, the, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So I'm not making this up. I, I'm, I'm spitballing these verses out there that, that we can be, know for sure that God's word says that we have reconciliation, we have this promised peace because of Jesus. It's, it's not from us. It's not anything that we can do. It's all because of what Jesus did. And if you could turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, I mentioned in the beginning that God kind of used this, this verse, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, he used this verse to really speak and, and point me and say, David, you should speak on peace. So I just want to read that and just... Count how many times you see peace, reconciliation, Jesus is mentioned. And it's going to be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. We'll start at Ephesians 2, 13. And Paul is primarily sp speaking about peace between Jewish people and Gentile people. He's talking to the, to the Gentiles and he's basically saying, you do not have to follow the law. You do not get peace by becoming a Jew. Rather, Jesus died and he, he unified the body. That There's no longer Jew and Gentile, two people, but there's one. And those are sons and daughters of Christ. That's Christians, Christ followers. So when you see and, and hear these words like two become one, and um, he divided the wall of hostility, he's talking about between Jewish people and Gentile people. And then he says that's all accomplished because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. So... Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start at 13 and read a few verses. But now in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And I'll just stop there. And it's just this beautiful imagery of what Jesus did. And, and all of this is only due because of his death on the cross. That's what it says in Ephesians here. That there's peace between, the, again, you don't have to be a Jew to have peace and reconciliation with Jesus. So if we go back to Luke chapter 2, I know we just turned away from it, but go back to Luke chapter 2. Again, we see the multitude of angels. They're proclaiming, they're, they're worshiping God, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And this last part here, with whom he is pleased, I think sometimes we, we, we don't like to read that. Or we're like, man, yeah, I, I, peace on earth, I, I, that's great, I love that. But to whom he is pleased? That means there's something that doesn't please God, that maybe peace is, is not available for all, but only those who God is pleased with is what it says. So this idea of reconciliation and peace, it's available for those who believe and who God is pleased with and all who have been justified, we read in, in Romans, justified, made right with God because of Jesus, who have been born again, who have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And sometimes I think people don't like to admit that you know, Christianity is the only way to be made right with God because it's like, well, that's not very welcoming or that doesn't sound very inclusive or I don't really know. But Jesus himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying, if you want to please God, if you want God to be pleased with you, following Jesus, being covered by his blood, trusting in him is how God is pleased with us. And when we go back to that question I originally asked in the beginning, are you at peace with God? If the, the answer is yes, if you've repented from your sins and if you are following Jesus. It says, peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased. If Jesus graded your relationship with them, how, how would you do? You know, do you lovingly submit to Jesus and obey him, pursue him, or is it more out of obligation or a checklist? Like, ooh, you know, I have to go to church at maybe like, a couple times a year, check, okay, I think I'm good. Or, oh, I served that nursery and, I, and I, 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 you know, I sent an email out that was encouraging, you know, check, all these different things. But I, that's out of obligation. That's not out of joy and love and surrender and pursuit. Have you been born again and do you have God's spirit within you? The Holy Spirit, Jesus calls him the comforter, the peace. Again, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, then you're at war with God. You're not at peace with God. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you, if you think you don't need a Savior, you're at war with the eternal, holy, perfect God, and you will lose that war. So just to recap here, Jesus is the promised Savior in Luke chapter 2, the one who brought peace between sinful man, between us and God with his death on the cross. Point number three, 
what God's peace gives us. Now I'm changing it up a little bit. I'm talking about more or less how God can kind of give us peace in certain circumstances. That yes, in a spiritual way, we've been reconciled with God spiritually and we can come before God with confidence and we can pray and know that God hears us and God doesn't just see us and and want to smite us in our sin and ugliness that we've been covered by Jesus. But this is kind of transitioning to, you know, God's peace gives us a few things. So letter A, we see God's peace gives us hope of eternal life. Eternal life. That all the suffering that we endure on the earth, everything we're going through here, it doesn't compare to what's to come. So we don't have to put our hope in our future here on earth and say, okay, I just got to get through this trial and in a few years I'll be good to go. There's always going to be something else. If we put our hope into an eternal life with our creator, into that perfect relationship, shalom, fullness, worshiping God, that's hopeful. Paul puts it this way. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says that while I live on earth, I'm going to joyfully serve and tell everyone I know about him. But when I die, that's more the gain. You know, that's, that's, that's the better thing to come, and I look forward to that. So with Paul, it was kind of a lose-lose, like if you were torturing him, I guess as a Roman soldier, because he'd be like, well, I'm enduring it for God's sake. You know, hallelujah, praise to God. And then they're like, well, we're going to kill you. Well, to die is gain. You know, so he, it's a lose-lose with Paul. And I just think, man, I, I wish I had that mindset. So again, a hope of the eternal life. We have the hope of, of shalom, of fullness, of, of completeness, of restoration with God. And we get to worship him 24-7 in heaven for all eternity. Letter B, we have assurance of faith. Assurance of faith. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a big list. And I think he says that because it has a little bit more, it carries more weight than just saying, okay, nothing separates you from God. But he's saying no angels, no rulers, nothing that's going to come will take you out of God's hand, will snatch you away from his love. We don't have to live in this constant fear of pleasing God. We don't have to worry about God looking down from heaven with like a magnifying glass, just waiting for us to mess up so he can smite us or zap us. He doesn't, he doesn't work that way. In Hebrews chapter 10, there's actually a whole subsection of text in Hebrews called Full Assurance of Faith. And I just read through this, and and I just want you to listen to some of the words that are used. We see words like confidence, opened up, a great priesthood, full assurance. Let me read it real quick. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." It's this whole idea that we know who God is, that God is faithful and he keeps his word. We sang the very first line of that song was promise maker, promise keeper. I just love that, that idea, that mentality of who God is. He keeps his word. And because he keeps his word, we can enter into his 
um, just his gates, his holy places, with confidence and draw near. This imagery of he's opened up a curtain for us. If you remember, Walter also spoke about when Jesus died on the cross, some supernatural things happened. And some things I totally forgot about. Like I said, you know, people were, were raised out of their graves. That, that's weird. That's supernatural. That's something only God can do. And one of those things that he, he says is that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And what that signifies is man is no longer separated from God. You don't have to be a great high priest and have uh, your, your, the priest go on your behalf before God, that we can approach God with confidence, with boldness, and have that type of relationship with him because of what Jesus did. We're freed from fear, we're freed from guilt, and we don't have to live. Um, when I read this word, wavering, we have confession of our hope without wavering. I just thought of, of well, what's wavering? I thought of like a, a scared dog in the corner of a house. Maybe you've seen this, or maybe you have a dog that's like this. But just like a dog that when someone walks in or there's a loud noise, they, they trap themselves in the corner and, and they're constantly shaking, their head's on a swivel, they're, they're nervous. They're, there's no peace, there's no rest. They're restless. They're wavering. And when I think we can approach God and we don't have to live that way, we have confidence to draw near to him, that we have forgiveness because of Jesus. Assurance of faith. We can look at the life, the death, the miracles that Jesus uh, did, his resurrection. Everything that Jesus promised and said, he fulfilled. He didn't tell lies. We can trust. He said he predicted his death many times. It wasn't like a a one-time lucky guess. He said it a few times. I'm going away, but I will return. He died. He came back. And he promised to give us his spirit. So again, we have assurance of faith. And the last point here, point number C, what God's peace gives us is help in present trouble. Help in present trouble. For the past couple of months in youth group, we've been going through a series on anxiety. Um, Anxiety is one of the the biggest things that, that young adults, that kids, teenagers are dealing with. Kids nowadays are more anxious, more depressed, more nervous now than ever. And this whole idea that we can have peace in our present trouble, the Bible's clear on this. So if you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, and this is a book that, I'll be honest, I, I knew it was in the Bible, 1 Peter, but I kind of was like, nah, yeah, 1 Peter, yeah, it's in the Bible, of course. I kind of forgot the different things that, that Peter says in it. And what he says are pretty powerful. He's actually preaching to Christians. He's writing this book, this letter, as an encouragement to Christians who are in exile. It's about 60 AD. It's about 30 years after Jesus died and rose and ascended up to heaven. And Peter is uh, writing to these Christians who are exiles. At that time, the Roman emperor Nero is burning villages. He's burning people's property. He's, He's basically just collapsing things so that he can rebuild buildings and, and statues that he wants to. There was just no more room to build in the Roman Empire. So he's burning villages, he's burning people's homes, and he's using the Christians as scapegoats. He's saying, man, look at these Christians. They're, they're burning all these buildings. We should kill them. They're, they're, we should not let them just get away with this. So he, he's, he's using Christians as his scapegoat, and these Christians are homeless. They don't, they don't have homes. They're being hunted. They're being persecuted for their faith. And this is what he reminds them, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says this, 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I'm not going to lie, we, I'm going through First Peter with the youth group kids, and as I'm reading this, it's like I'm reading it for the first time. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how did I not know that verse was there? How did I forget this? And I just love the, the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He just opens our eyes that when we read the Bible, when we reread it, you even find new things. A lot of times in my Bible, I underline with a certain color, and then I go back and I see like seven different colors, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, I, I read this like seven times, and each time I underline something different, um, I love that depiction that the, the Holy Spirit helps us read God's word, that the Holy Spirit makes God's word alive and active in our lives. So he's encouraging the Christians in exile who are getting hunted, who are getting persecuted. He's saying, you are God's people. Remember what he's done. He's given you mercy. Man, talk about not a peaceful time to be a Christian. He's encouraging them and, and giving them this, this peace. I love this depiction. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A little bit later in, in chapter 5, if you want to flip your page there, First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, uh, the youth group, we've been trying to memorize these 11 words because they're simple, but they're very profound. And he says this, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Those 11 words, and we've been memorizing that with the youth group. And again, Peter's reminding the people, God wants you to surrender your burdens to him. He wants you to, to vent to him. Give over everything that's stressing you out, your anxieties, everything that's keeping you from having peace. God says, give it to me. I, I want that. I want you to come with all your baggage. Don't hold that back. Don't live in life holding these, just, just these anxieties with you. They're going to weigh you down. He says, surrender them to me. Surrender them to God because God cares for you. God loves you. I've just, been, I've just been memorizing those 11 words and they've been changing the way I've been thinking about things and that we have a God that loves us, a God that cares for us, that a God that doesn't get tired when we complain to him, a God that wants us to come to him as we are. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7, Paul reminds us, and we went over this with the youth group kids about anxiety too. This is probably one of the most I would say, well-known verses about God's peace that he gives us. Um, Paul's saying, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And some of us were like, man, yeah, but Paul, you don't, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the stress I'm under from work. You don't know the, the, the problems I have with my family. And I, and I, told, I, preached, on, I preached this to the youth group kids, and I reminded them, Paul's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard, in his house, he's awaiting trial where he might die. He has every right to tell us to rejoice in our circumstances because he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He says, let your reasonableness, let your rejoicefulness, when you rejoice, let it be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your heart, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
that again, we have this peace of God that when we give our burdens to God, when we say, God, I know you're bigger than my problems. Help me. I'm struggling with this fact. My, my world's collapsing. I need your help. If you come with thanksgiving, Paul says the peace of God, this, this supernatural peace that goes beyond all understanding, this is not a peace you get from a friend. This is not a peace you get from a church or a pastor. This is not a peace you get from a doctor or from medicine. This is peace that comes from God. It, it, it's this ridiculous, it doesn't make sense type of peace that when your world's collapsing, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, you can say, I have peace. God's spirit is comforting me. He gives me peace. So again, during this time of Advent, we're reminded that one, we need a savior. Two, Jesus is our promised peace. And three, God's peace gives us hope of eternal life, assurance of faith, and help in present trouble. And I want to do something a little bit differently. And um, I'm just going to ask everybody if you can close your eyes. We're going to close this way. Um, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm just going to ask two questions. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Please don't look around. And again, I'm, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to make sure if you raise your hand, oh, I've got to go over to that person and after church and talk to them. Again, but just be honest. With your eyes closed, raise your hand if you're not sure if you have peace with God. Raise your hand if you're not sure that you have peace with God. Thank you, I see your hand, thank you. All right, raise your hand if you are not sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven. Please raise your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. All right, with her eyes closed still, the beauty of the Bible is that it says this, that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that Jesus is the promised Savior talked about in Luke chapter 2, that, and if you put your hope and your trust on him, that you will be comforted and that you will spend eternity with him. Prayer doesn't save you. Praying a certain prayer does not save you. Only God can save you. Only God can so again, if, if you raised your hand, just meditate throughout the day. How do I get peace with God? The Bible says, surrender your life. Give it over. Cast it onto Jesus. Trust in him. Trust in the words that he said, that he paid your debt, that you're free from punishment, from, from fear, from, of guilt, from shame, that Jesus bore that on the cross because he loves you, because he willingly came down to die for us. At this time, I'll invite the worship team to come up and we'll close in prayer. Dear Father, we just thank you so much that we don't have to live in fear of death. God, we don't have to live in this fear of, of constant rejection and fear of punishment. Thank you that through your Son, through Jesus, our promised Savior, we have been reconciled and we have peace with you. That Jesus' blood alone and his righteousness alone saves us. God, we just thank you so much for being faithful by sending Jesus your promised peace to us, our promised Savior. God, we love you so much. And God, I pray that we can take some time today to really just meditate on the peace that you've given us. And in your holy and precious name we pray, amen.